welcome to 10 by 9 Kyneton. We are so glad that you're here. We'd like to begin the evening by recognising that collectively we live and gather tonight on the lands of the Wurrung, the Jajajarurung and the Tungurung communities of the Kulin Nations. We acknowledge their elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to 10 by 9. I'm Sarah Lockwood and together with Lee Brennan over here and Lil who can't be with us tonight, we organise this amazing event called 10 by 9 which happens all over the world. We're very excited this evening to have a very special guest. Paul actually started 10 by 9 nine years ago in Belfast and he's visiting us in Kyneton Regional Victoria tonight. Um, <laughs> and Paul's actually even volunteered to do the first story for the evening with our theme, which is sorry. Paul, welcome. Thanks for being here. So it must have been more than, well, it definitely was more than 20 years ago and it was definitely before 1997. And I was coming home from work, but the bus wasn't too crowded, so it was probably mid-afternoon and I had been on a dreaded and hateful early shift. A teenage girl with blonde hair got on the bus with a musical instrument in one of those cumbersome cases that looked as if they were a nightmare to carry. And she sat on the seat in front of me and she was from a very nice school. Uh, she looked like your average, nice, polite, able student. Probably someday she would go to a good university, spend a year in Australia getting drunk and come home to a decent job and goodness knows what else. But that is me projecting. A few stops after she got on, three other young people got on. And they were not your average, nice, middle-class teens. Some people, including me on a good day, might say they were marginalised and failed by the education system and society. And on other days, I might describe them as feral youth. And it was one elder boy, maybe 17, and clearly the leader of this threesome. There was a girl, maybe 15, and another younger boy. Baseball caps looking malnourished as if raised on a diet of cigarettes and Red Bull, except I don't think Red Bull was around in those days. And it seemed unlikely any of the three had seen the inside of a classroom for several years. The ringleader was skinny and rat-like. He was loud and the other two laughed at everything he said. And he said everything loudly and in a nasal accent that belongs only to Belfast and an accent that carries all across the bus. They didn't look particularly threatening, but they did bring a sense of tension to the part of the bus where they sat, the same part of the bus where I was sitting and where the schoolgirl was sitting. And there was a lot of laughing and stupid behaviour between the three, but nothing that couldn't be easily ignored. But then the older boy lighted on the schoolgirl. Maybe it was her blonde hair, her smart uniform, the musical instrument, the reek of middle class that came off her, or the fact that she was the only person around his own age on the bus, and he started to talk to her. Now, when I say talk, it wasn't a conversation. It was mocking. He was asking her about the instrument, her school, and all the time looking for a reaction from his cohorts, his two lieutenants. The schoolgirl was polite, but clearly uncomfortable, and the sniggering of his mates made it all the more unpleasant. 
Then he started talking about her to his friends. Doesn't she look like your woman? What do you call her? The Lady Diane. Cue sniggers from the sidekicks in agreement and much laughter. And it went on and on and on, him mocking her to her face, she taking it in good grace. Me and everyone else around, hearing it all, pretending not to, being mortified and doing absolutely nothing. And he kept repeating the line about the Lady Diane with such a sneer. And all I could think of while sitting in judgment of him was, you mean Princess Diana, or maybe Diana, Princess of Wales. And I wanted to shout this at him because she was still alive at this point, which is how I know this was before 1997. And I kept thinking, how stupid are you not even knowing the name of someone who at that stage was easily the most famous woman in the world? And besides, no one had called her Lady Diane or Diana or Lady anything in at least a decade, except for this idiot on this bus. <laughs> and it's funny the things that bug you. But on and on it went. The Lady Diane this, the Lady Diane that, snigger, snigger. It was becoming ever more torturous, ever more malicious and unpleasant. And I wanted to tell this rat-faced young fella to shut up, leave the girl alone, get off the bus, and bloody well get Diana's name right. But of course, I didn't. I sat there, listening to it all, despising the three bullies with their baseball caps and their stupidity and cruelty and saying nothing. Oh, I was thinking very courageous thoughts, but I did nothing. Nor did anyone else on that bus, and there were plenty of us. Eventually, the girl got up to get off the bus. They didn't hassle her or try to stop her. They weren't that sort of bully. Bye, Lady Diane, said one of the sniggers from the acolytes. She got off, and I guess she went home. A few stops later... The unholy trio also got off, and I felt a great relief. And I imagine the whole bus did. But I also felt very, very sorry. Sorry that I hadn't intervened. And why didn't I intervene? Why didn't I tap the schoolgirl on the shoulder and ask if she were okay, just to let the rat-faced teenager know that someone was looking out for her? Why didn't I just confront him and tell him to stop? Why didn't I do anything other than seethe and hope it would all end soon. It didn't matter that there were a dozen others who could have done something, but didn't. That didn't matter. What mattered was that I did nothing. So here's my dilemma. How do I say sorry to someone I don't know, will never know, wouldn't recognize ever again, in fact, hardly even got a good view of in the first place? How do I say sorry to her, say sorry I didn't intervene, didn't pluck up the courage to interfere, didn't have the balls to do something? And for all I know, that teenager could now be a work colleague, a friend, someone I see regularly, or even talk to regularly. She could be, but it's unlikely, be here tonight. She may well have gotten off that bus and never thought about it again. She may well not remember it at all. I doubt many people who were there that day do remember it, but I remember it. It wouldn't leave me, and clearly it still rankles even now. And there is a postscript. I made a conscious decision I would never sit back and do nothing again. And soon enough, I got my chance to put that plan into action. Not too long afterwards, I was coming home from a work night out, and to be honest, some drink had been consumed. And it was about midnight, and there was a disturbance in the street, so naturally I went to investigate. And I saw a group of people looking concerned and being menaced by a rather thuggish-looking guy, and armed with my Dutch courage, I went to the raid and tried to keep the guy calm and peaceful. 
and it worked. But at the same time, his equally thuggish-looking mate was kicking seven bells out of someone. And I decided this had to be stopped. So, galvanized by my peacemaking abilities, I threw myself literally between victim and attacker, thinking this could be saving a life, me doing my little bit. Next I knew, I was coming to against a wall several feet away. But at least I had tried, and I was unhurt. So maybe I had finally atoned for my lack of courage on the bus with the Lady Diane, and I wasn't sorry. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for coming from Belfast to tell that story. Next, we have Angus. Welcome, Angus. My story is similar in some, in some ways, um, but a little bit more about uh, a moment of feeling sorry for myself. Um, this takes place not quite as long ago, but a while ago now, when I was on my travels through Europe, and I was, uh, I was based in Latvia for about three months. My, my mother was Latvian, and that whole side of my family were Latvian, so I was, I was connecting for the first time with some family, family roots, and I was meeting my second cousins uh, for the first time. So I was uh, set up there. I rented myself an apartment in, in Riga, in uh, not the touristy part of town, a little bit out into the, just slightly into the dodgy part of, part of Riga. So I was getting what approximated a real experience of, of Latvian life. And I was there during the summer. Coincidentally, during that time, there was the... Uh, cultural arts festival that they have there, the the Latvian National Song and Dance uh, Festival, which is a time when the whole city comes alive and there's singing and dancing all through the streets and national pride, there's flowers blooming everywhere. It's a great time to be there. I went out one night with my with my with my cousins, and we saw some fireworks and we saw some folk dancing displays and. You know, had a had a great night. A couple of cousins and I went along to a, a bar after that, where we had absinthe um, in the French style, as they put it. The Czech style is where you have the sugar that you 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 burn and you melt into the into the absinthe. The French style, you get a brandy balloon, and then another glass that's got lemon juice and I think some sugar in it. You roll the absinthe around the brandy balloon, you set it on fire, and then you tip it into the other glass, and then quickly turn the brandy balloon upside down onto a napkin. You shoot the lemon juice and the absinthe, and then you get a straw and stick it underneath the brandy balloon, and you suck out the... <laughs> The, the toxic fumes that are left inside the brandy balloon. And that's what gets you. And so, needless to say, I was very drunk and very happy. I, everything was soft and great, you know. I'd had a great night singing and dancing and flowers and I'm, you know, drunk as a skunk and loving it. My cousins at the end of the night said, okay, so you get a cab and, and you go home now. I said, no, I'm going to walk. It's fine. I walked here. It's, I'm not going to 
spend the money on a on a cab. I'll save that for for other times. I'm going to walk. It's going to be great. It's great. It's a warm night. It's it's wonderful. So I walked. I walked back to my apartment, and the the street was warm and and the road was soft on my feet and it was a it was a great night. Just at the point where you cross over the main street into the slightly less main street where my apartment was is exactly the point where it slightly turns dodgy. I was no more than 100 metres from where my apartment was and a man appeared at my side and started asking to use my phone. And in my drunken happiness, I genuinely thought he wanted to use my phone. And I was trying to explain to him the phone I've got, I borrowed from my cousins, it doesn't have any credit on it, so it's, there's no, there's no, I can't help you, there's no point. Uh, and I was using what little Latvian I have. Um, but that wasn't nearly enough to, you know, convey what I needed. Man's telephone, credit, now. But he wasn't understanding and he kept on insisting and still, I assumed it's my, it's my fault. I'm not expressing myself clearly. I'm not making myself clear here. He's not understanding. And this is the point where, when I think back on it, I start to regret uh, some of my choices. <laughs> and at this point, I actually said to him, look, I'm, I'm sorry, my phone, this phone uh, doesn't work but I have a landline. I just, I'm up here. You, uh, you can use my phone. He seemed to understand that. At least he went, he indicated that we were going this way now. And okay, great. So we're walking along. I was staying in a pre-Soviet era building apartment, apartment blocks that are in these, uh, big, you know, sectional blocks. I was in one of the back buildings. So to get to my building, you have to go down a narrow alley in between two other buildings off the street to where my building is. I turned down this alley, which is very dark. And at this point, I started to think there's a code I need to put in. I need to click into the thing to get into my building. And I don't really want this guy to see that code and then I don't really want him in my apartment and I don't know who this guy is and maybe this wasn't such a good idea what am I going to do here and at this point he was grabbing at my jacket pocket he'd obviously realized through my mum's telephone credit now that he'd worked out my phone was here and he started grabbing at it and I thought you're being very pushy now with the phone, the phone, and at that point, where it's where it all came into a different kind of focus, where I realized how far I was from the street and how far I was from light or help or home. And that's the point where he punched me. And I f next thing I know, I'm on the ground. I could taste blood in my mouth and he's standing over me taking my wallet 
out of my pocket. And I, f- I felt like such an idiot. <laughs> and I just said, just take the take the wallet, take it. I don't just just. And I had to wait for him to go before getting up and pressing the code into the into the door to get in. And as I was walking up the stairs, I could feel fat drops of blood spattering on the stairs as I as I walked up. I got inside and my my lip was split right up and I had blood spattered all down my jacket and and t-shirt and I felt very sorry for myself at that point. Um, I had to call my cousins and get them to come pick me up and we had to go to hospital and I got 20 stitches in my face and uh, x-rays and had to go to the, the police station to make a statement and all that kind of business. And I was sorry that it popped the air out of my experience. So from then on, the, the streets weren't filled with flowers and joy and singing. There was threats and danger and a hardness to everything that wasn't there before in my head. And... Uh, changed my view of of the world and and in my journeys through it but then as time has gone on uh, you know wounds heal and you get over it and I, I I realized that I learned probably some valuable lessons about staying safe and I got a very special extra exclusive tour of the Soviet era hospital system of Latvia (laughs) and the police station where I got to see a Russian cop show taking place essentially beside me where there was a detective interviewing some young kid you know had his shoelaces taken out of his thing and he's there speaking in Russian telling him you know, your mates told you, you do it. You did it. So you better just admit it. It was, I got this this extra special behind the scenes tour that I would never have had otherwise. And I learned some good lessons and I got a good story. So I guess in the same way, I'm, I'm also not sorry in the end. Thank you. <laughs> All right, let's put your hands together for Mary. Well, I'm going to start with a funny story because to my story is about being lost and it's like a lost and found story. And I've got many, many stories about using maps, trying to navigate through life. But my funniest story was when we were in, England, in Ireland just married, sort of honeymooning, trying to impress my man with my navigational skills. We're trying to find a town where we can find a B&B. I think we're somewhere in the back streets of 
heading to Cork, apparently. I know it was dark. He thinks it was light, but I remember it being dark. I've got the map. He's driving. And he said, try and find a town that we can find a B&B. And then I think we were heading to a family wedding. So I'm looking at the map, looking at the signs, and I've fixated on finding this town called Ramps. So we keep following these signs that say ramps. We're nearly there, darling. Just keep going. It's, it's, we just keep seeing this sign that says ramps. We're nearly there. We're nearly there. Just trust me. I know what I'm doing. Little did I know that the word ramps was the same as speed humps in Australia. <laughs> so apologetically, I said, let's just have fun. Let the road take us where we need to go. So that's pretty much my life, letting the road take me where I need to go. Just go with the flow, you know, be water. Path of least resistance is usually my backup plan. So there was one occasion though, this was 15 years ago, that I didn't have a map for this experience. It was something I couldn't prepare myself for. And I was lost in a place I would call now otherness. So 15 years ago, we gave birth to our second child. And he was stillborn. His name was Aiden. I held him in my arms for five hours in the hospital. And the first word I said to him was sorry. I wept and over and over I said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So that was really the beginning of me trying to navigate out of a place that took me somewhere dark, um, no map could really pull me out of this deep darkness, a well, I would call it, of grief and just not prepared for, you know, being a mother without a child. So really now I look at that path that took me through life, trying to make sense of the human experience, trying to make sense of my faith, trying to make sense of people's reactions, you know, having to go to a shop and, and they saw my firstborn who was three and say, oh, you've only got one child. And they were triggers that punched me hard in my shattered heart. And I would say, F, yes, I have one F child. And I thought my husband used to drag me out of those shops and say, darling, please, she's only trying to be friendly. <laughs> but they were triggers that hurt me and I was really not prepared for a response because I was in this place called otherness. It doesn't come with manners. It doesn't come with any boundaries. It just comes from a place of grief. So the story then becomes about me trying to find all these shattered pieces of my heart 
and I had to find them in, you know, the deepest of oceans and the highest of mountains. And I lost my mojo at work. I guess when you lose your light, the narcissists come out and target you because um, bullies thrive on that. So I was bullied out of my corporate job. He said working with me was like clubbing a baby seal. So I guess that was an amazing image that I actually thank him for because I needed to project myself as something bigger, something stronger. And so that was really the turning point for me to try and find a way out of otherness. So I worked hard on trying to craft my map. And the only thing that lit the coordinates was love. Love, compassion, being allowed to be vulnerable and brave and courageous. And I started to soften. I started to find more compassion in myself. And somehow the coordinates started to light up. It led me to a path that stripped me of everything I ever knew of myself. And I dived deep, dived deep in those tunnels looking for gold. And I did find gold. And through that experience, I've learnt to help others find gold. So now I look at my journey and it led me to creating a beautiful healing space for others because it's when I started to shift the focus off myself and started to help others did I found my map that I find a navigational pathway to allow love light the way. So now if I can hold my son today instead of sorry, I would say thank you. Uh, just while we gather ourselves, just I think we should just do another round of applause. It was a pretty good night. Yeah? All right. Uh, so as we like to do, we'll do a little short recap on everybody just to relive the magic. Uh, Paul, thank you for showing us that sorry is something we often have to learn and carry with us into future behavior. And some of us have to learn... Uh, how to say Diana, the Princess of Wales. Uh, Angus, thank you for showing us the very, very well-trodden path towards sorry, which is from soft and great to a dark laneway between sectional blocks. Uh, Mary, uh, we're sorry for your shattered heart. We are sorry for your shattered heart. And thank you for your helping of many others in our community, including both of us. Podrick has a new On Being podcast that you can check out on your podcast apps. It's called Poetry Unbound and it's just seven minutes or eight minutes every day and you get to hear Podrick in his amazing Irish accent, which is similar to Paul's, um, 
read a poem and then explain a poem and then read the same poem again and it will change your day. They also, Paul, on his way over here from um, Belfast, he edited the 10 by 9 podcast. It happens all over the world. You can just you can just search it in your Apple podcast app, 10 by 9 and you'll get 10 by 9 stories from all over the world. They've been recording them tonight. They could be up soon on the uh, podcast because, um, you know, we're in the world. Even though we're in Kyneton, we're in the world. But um, So that's another two podcasts to add to your library. Thanks for being here.